Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Thank you, everybody, once again, for joining me tonight here on Golf Talk Live. We've got a great show for you. Of course, uh, we're going to be starting off here just a moment or two uh, with another interview. Exciting round of Coach's Corner with the panel, and I've got two great guys on tonight. And a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by a good friend and a, a very frequent guest on the show over the last several years, Brett Cohen. He's the uh, founder of the New York uh, or NY Golf Fitness Guru. He's also a, a golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority. Um, so he's going to be joining me on the second half and uh, following the Coach's Corner panel. But let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, network and for some reason if you can't join us live not to worry uh, you can just visit that link anytime and uh, just scroll down to the on-demand section and listen to whatever show whether this show or any of the previously aired shows that you may have missed so they're all going to be there uh, you can check them out and at the end of the show uh, I will play uh, during the outro you'll get some other great ways that you can tune into the broadcast as well I uh, also want to uh, offer a special thank you to uh, uh, once again, this evening's sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, GolfSwing.com. Uh, and here's just a little bit about them. GolfSwing.com, with their cutting-edge technology, uh, have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Uh, together, they have created one of the best video teaching and uh, training online platforms in golf. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then you want to join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. Um, and if you go to uh, golfswing.com after the show and enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at checkout, you'll receive 50% off their subscription price. So make sure you do that after the show. Go to golfswing.com, enter Golf Talk Live in the, uh, at checkout, and receive 50% off the subscription price. I guarantee it's well worth it. Uh, all right, as I mentioned, I've got a great Coach's Corner uh, discussion this evening, and I've got two great uh, guys joining me. First up, of course, is John Hughes, a PGA Master Professional and the president of the North Florida PJ section. Uh, he was also the recipient of the 2013 PJ of America's uh, Horton Smith Award, and he's one of the top 25 instructors uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, also joining on the panel tonight is another uh, good friend and favorite on the show, uh, Chuck Evans. Uh, he's a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, uh, Golf Dig- uh, Digest, excuse me, Top Teachers in America, and Top 50 Growth of the Game teacher as well. Uh, and he's the director of instruction at Apache Creek Golf Club in Apache Junction, Arizona, and also the owner of Chuck Evans Golf. So, uh, John and Chuck, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner Panel. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having us. Yep, same here. Uh, Thanks, Ted. All right, I appreciate it. And as always, guys, thank you for giving of your time. Uh, I know it's uh, sometimes uh, a little uh, cutting it close, having to race home from the golf course, uh, doing a a full lesson plan to make it in time for the show. So I appreciate it very much. Always uh, you giving of your time. And I know that the listeners do as well. So um, I'm going to do this uh, tonight. Uh, Chuck, I'm going to start with you uh, on this question. And these questions are really designed 
um, really to give the listeners um, a little bit better understanding of why and how things happen uh, the way they do. So Chuck, I'm going to start with you. A lot of people have this sort of question in mind, uh, and, and I, what I want you to do is first give the answer um, specifically, and you'll understand in a second, and maybe give an explanation as to why. Um, and, and this question goes this way. Uh, what gives the ball its initial direction, the club face angle or path? Well, so uh, the golf ball primarily, the initial direction is 85% face, which would lead the rest of it to path. So, you know, a lot of a lot of players that uh, John and I see, we all see, <clears throat> struggle with a uh, what would be what would be normally be a pull slice. Some people hit a straight right. slice or a push slice, but anytime the ball's curving right for a right-hander, then you know the path of the club head. It's to the left of where the face is looking when the ball leaves, and vice versa if you're drawing it. So, if you are if you are slicing the ball, uh, you, you try to get your path more outward. So, feel like feel like you're coming into the ball in post impact. That the club head is still traveling out. Let's say target was 12, 12 o'clock. Let's say the club head is traveling out to one o'clock. Just try to get that path a little more into out. Right, and, and I think a lot of people get confused because uh, you know most people think, well, it's the it's the way I'm swinging the the club, and there is a certain uh, element of truth to that. But obviously, the club face uh, plays a big proponent, and and actually, some of the the um, launch monitors out there available, TrackMan and FlightScope, basically confirm this. Um, and a lot of pros, right. of course, uh, think that the swing path determines the the starting line, and 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 often it is the case uh, in in golf instruction, but. Also, there are a lot of pros that uh, you know look at things a little bit differently as well, and it really depends on who you ask. But the truth of the matter is, the club face basically dictates um, pri- the primary direction or angle, if you will, uh, that the, the initial direction, if you will, that the, the club or the uh, ball is traveling. So, um, right, you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand that, and I think, you know, it's kind of like that cause and effect. When you understand what happens. Um, as a result of certain factors like club face and swing path and things like that, then it's easier, I think, for most of your, our club golfers out there to be able to correct a lot of those things. When they understand why things go the way they do, it's easier for them to make those corrections and adjustments uh, as they go along. Um, great answer, and thank you for, for uh, uh, expressing that out. Um, John, I'm going to go to you with something a little bit different. Um, if a golfer wants to hit a big draw, is he going to move uh, or shift, if you will, his weight further forward at impact or further back? And if so, whichever way you're going to go, why? Uh, really good question. It depends on the type of lie that the person has. Uh, mainly, you're always trying to shift your weight forward regardless. Uh, anything hanging back is going to leave the club open. And or as Chuck just pointedly said, the club path pulls across you. You get this pull sensation, whether the face is open or not. Bottom line, to hit the draw, you've got to hit the inside of the ball, which means the ball's going to start a little right at target and work back. It, in order for that to happen, the face has got to be a tad bit open, but the path has got to be working inside to out. With that being said, the only way you make room 
for that club to work inside to out is to shift your weight and rotate forward to allow the hands a path to create the club into a mirrored path to hit the golf ball. Right. Well said. And and Chuck, I want I want to I might, I might, I might add real quick. I yeah, might go add ahead. Real quick, Ted, to to John's answer. Uh, when John said the club face is open, it, it's open relative to the target line, but it's Correct. closed relative to the path. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And and, and I want to just sort of draw a little bit further um, on on this somewhat because, you know, again we're we're talking about transference of weight and a lot of golfers end up sort of uh, keeping that weight back and it creates a lot of different problems. What is, in your opinion, and, and, and I want each of you to sort of give an answer to this, um, and Chuck, I'm going to go to you first, obviously, since, since John initially uh, attacked this answer or this question. Um, what's causing a, a good majority of the players, do you think, out there to sort of leave that weight back as opposed to transferring it forward the way they should. What's causing that? Is it set up? Is it a myriad of things in your uh, opinion? What's primarily causing people to have that uh, weight shift or not weight shift rather, but, but keeping that, that weight back? Well, I think prim- you, you can start with setup, And then uh, during the backswing, everybody's heard about, well, you're supposed to shift your weight. Well, weight and pressure are only the same in a static environment. Once it moves, it's all about the pressure in your feet, not not the center of mass or center of gravity moving away from the golf ball. Uh, it rotates in space, which essentially does move, but it's not moving to the foot so much. It's a pressure that's moving to the foot. Um, and then while they're doing that, their shoulder turn is so level and their hip turn is so level that they get this huge uh, Mr. and Mrs. Haverkamp move off the ball. Their head drifts about a foot to the right. And, right. and you, you can't get back from there. I don't care how good an athlete you are. Now, are there players that shift off the ball and turn on the right hip? There's a couple still. But uh, if you look at the best players today, the best players going back through the through golf history, they all look like they're turning in the center, not necessarily shifting way off the golf ball. Uh, Hogan, for example, in his early move, would shift a little, just a little bit to the right when the mm-hmm. club started. But as that club started going up, his his pelvis turn was going back to the left. So. And and his shoulders turned on a tilt instead of a flat uh, plane. So the, the whole thing is if you, you know if you know you have to get back, and you're having right. trouble doing that, why don't you preset your weight and pressure both at address, favoring your front legs, and it could be 65 all the way up to 75 percent, and then from there feel like you're turning on your lead hip, not your trail hip. So you'll yeah. have the pressure there. So when you start down, all you got to do is get out of your way and stay forward. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's a great advice because, you know, this is a big problem. And the other th- thing, John, too, that a lot of people have, you know, speaking of sort of weight back is, you know, a lot of the old terminology that we used to hear in golf, you know, you want to feel like you're you're kind of almost getting ready to sit down on a bar stool or something. That's the way, you, you know, you want to feel uh, when you're getting your posture set up. And the problem with that, what I see a lot of people doing, as I'm sure you do, 
is they take that literally, and what ends up happening is they end up moving most of their weight at setup or at address on the on their heels as opposed to on the balls of their feet. What are some good drills, if you will, or what do you do? Because I know you've talked a lot in different uh, tips on, in Golf Tips Magazine about balance. Um, so that's obviously a big factor there. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'll get that because I was on your page, and I'm going to call it the myths of golf, keeping head still, staying behind the ball. Um, these are all great things for Chuck, you, and I to say to the right person at the right time, but to the wrong person, it's a myth. And that causes a lot of the unbalance or imbalance within the swing. Uh, most people don't have body track or another type of pressure plate like Chuck and I have. So one of the things that I'll ask someone to do is set up and close their eyes. And if they feel too balanced to either toe or heel, why don't you just get it 50-50 to start out with? That's that's a great place to start because you're starting from a static stop. To Chuck's point, right. hey, once you start moving, it is in the, it's the pressure of your feet. But in particular, it's working opposite of one another. As you're putting pressure into your right toe, per se, coming through, you're balancing that by putting the pressure into the left heel. So starting out a little bit more balanced, because what I see is when you tell someone balls of the feet, they get way up on their toes. They're, they're looking to right. feel the grounder at shortstop kind of thing or defend a pass in basketball. And that's a little extreme, just like being on the heel standing two up is a little extreme. So the very first thing I I always ask people is close your eyes and address and, and feel where your balance is. You can also use the tip that Chuck just gave if you're wanting to favor more into your left leg so you can rotate around that. Feel that with your eyes closed before you ever start swinging. And then from there's lots of other ways to balance. Uh, going barefoot, it's, it's something that Sam Snead used to do to keep his balance. When his swing was off, he'd take his shoes off and play barefoot. That sounds a little comical, but it works. Uh, rolling up a beach towel nice and tight and trying to stand in the middle of it, yet make a balanced swing. Really simple drill to do. Yeah, and there's a lot of great drills um, you know, that you can do. And this is a problem, I think, you know, for most people, everybody seems to, you know, they're, they're focusing on the overall swing. And a lot of times it's very simple things in their setup that are incorrect from the start. And as you both know, and, and I know uh, with instruction that if, if things are not set up correctly, then it, it leads to potentially, now some people, you know, have, have a, an ability to redirect, if you will, and can, can, compensate a little bit and some of the pros that you know like Jim Furyk as an example uh, is able to reroute the club and so forth but uh, he arrives at impact the same as uh, his other fellow pros but he might set up differently than many of the others do so I mean that's another sort of a misnomer as well that everybody has to set up the same and it's really not 100% true because if you look back in in time you look at somebody like Lee Trevino as an example is another one uh, very open in a stance, um, you know, and, and other factors as well. Um, but yet he was, you know, a, a very uh, effective ball striker. Um, so there's a lot of things that have to be looked at uh, from our standpoint. And, and you're right, John, I think that a lot of times terminology that we use sometimes is taken literally or misunderstood. So we have to be very careful, uh, careful of that. 
Um, Chuck, I want to ask you this question here. This really revolves around spine angle. Um, does the spine actually, uh, the angle taken at address, the bend or flexion from the hips is what I'm referring to, stay that way throughout the backswing, or does it uh, change as the hips come out of their anterior tilt? Well, that uh, depends on which part of the spine, if, if you're talking to the upper thoracic or lower lumbar, but, but basically it does come out. So you have your, so you, so, you know, you have your address position where you are, you're a little bit in, in flexion, you're tilted forward, but as you go back, th there's two pieces to it actually. So as you start moving the club back, you actually feel like you're trying to stand up while your shoulders are, are tilting and you get left side mm -hmm. bend if you're a right-handed player. Because if you don't mm -hmm. side bend and you feel like you're standing up, then that's exactly what you do. You just stand straight up. On, on the same token, if, you are trying to, if you're trying to tilt the shoulders, the lead shoulder downward more, uh, and you don't have that rise from the upper thoracic, then you go down too far. So it does, it does bend. And it does move from flexion to, to more, it's still in flexion, but more extension, which is more of an up move. Flexion is more of a down move uh, from, from facing the golf ball. And that, but the key thing that I see uh, a lot of people is in the downswing, once they, once they have what I call re-centered, you've taken the angle out of the knees, the, the pelvis, and the shoulders, and you've got them pretty much level. From there forward, now you have to have the right lateral bend. Or you, or they stand up through the golf shot, and if you, and if you don't have that right lateral bend, you can't turn because you're sliding too much. So, right. can you, can you have lateral and rotational motion? You can, uh, with a skilled enough player. But for the average player, they, in order to get turned and not go into early extension or some of the other phrases we use in golf, where the pelvis is getting closer to the target line and the downswing. Uh, the only way to stop that is through rotation, and you have to have the right lateral or right side bend. Yeah, and, and you know, some of the other things, too, that, and, and again, I'm sure we've all uh, seen many, many examples over the years, and, and, John, I want you to just touch about this. You know, we'll see quite often, uh, and, and, you know, one of the other sort of myths is that the, the head stays perfectly still. Now, I know Jack Nicholas talked about that, and, you know, how Jack Grout used to, you know, grab him by the hair and, and in order to keep his, his head steady. And, you know, there is a certain element of truth to that, but the head does make some movement. Um, but quite often we see as people come in and out of their, their spine tilt, um, you know, we'll see examples where somebody will actually, uh, you know, dip down excessively or stand up excessively as they're going through the swing motion. What are some of the causes for that? And how do we help some of our students, if you will, that have that excessive, you know, upwards or, or downwards motion with their head as they're going, as they're transitioning through the backswing and, and follow through? Well, most people who are, most golfers, let me put it that way, tend to rise up. And that, that has a lot to do with core instability, uh, uh, hamstrings, hip flexors, glutes, et cetera. And, and there's a lot of information out there about that. That's caused a lot by sitting. Uh, the more you sit, the less likely that core is going to be very stable for you. And there's not a whole lot that can be done on the golf course. It's something you have to address 
at home, getting up out of the chair a little bit more often, walking around, uh, reaching for your toes with locked knees, just some really simple things like that can go a long, long way. When it comes to someone who's dipping, it's not necessarily loose hamstrings. It has more, in my opinion, a little bit more to do with balance and losing balance. When the equilibrium loses balance, it's going to do two things. It's going to slow you down and bring your center of gravity lower. That's just what organically the, 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 or the equilibrium does. So if you're not in control of this, say like a Rory McIlroy who comes down two to four inches with every shot, yeah, that's done more in the legs. Again, back to Chuck's uh, mention of pressure in the feet. If you're dipping down, you're losing you're losing balance somewhere at the top of your swing. It's not necessarily an overswing. Maybe you're out of sync with your swing. Maybe the tempo is too fast or too slow. But we're we're looking at things that that can steady your core. To Chuck's point, to allow that right side tilt to create some rotation. Yeah, right. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, when you watch so many different players, whether it be on the PGA or the LPGA Tour, um, you know, it doesn't matter what, which tour you watch. Um, obviously, in today's game, we're seeing more and more similarities in how the, the players not only address the ball, but how they uh, attack the ball, if you will. Um, but when we go back, you know, 10, 20, even 30 years ago, you know, we see such a vastly different um, type of player, and obviously part of it is is the athleticism of today's player uh, is is again much different uh, than what we saw you know 10, 20, 30 years ago, uh, and we can thank players like Tiger Woods and some of the other young guys that have come up through through the ranks, and so you know when you see that, and you see some of our uh, amateur players out there that obviously are not in the same shape as some of these young guys. I think that they have a hard time understanding why they can't emulate what they're seeing on TV. Um, so I think sometimes, you know, we have to kind of make the best of the situation. And you're right, John, I think sometimes there's things that they need to work on outside of the golf course. Uh, you know, we can only do so much, but if they've got weak uh, core muscles or hamstrings or other areas of the body, then those are things that they need to, you know, consult with and, and, uh, and get those in check uh, in order to help uh, their overall game. Um, but, but great answer. Um, Chuck, here's a, a, a question that I have that I want you to uh, address. And I'm going to read this out relatively slowly because there's a lot to it. So I want to make sure that you, you hear everything correctly because I know um, you guys don't get to see these questions beforehand and uh, you don't have the, the benefit of, of having them in front of you. So um, which of these are true commonalities of all the game's greatest players. So this is, uh, there, there's four answers, if you will, and um, a couple of them are, are uh, fairly common uh, with the greatest players. So uh, A is, would be the grip, B would be the posture, uh, C would be weight forward at impact, and D, a left, a flat left wrist for the, and we're gonna talk about the, the right-handed players here um, and just reverse it for left-handed uh, at impact. So. Um, again, we're looking for which of these are true commonalities of the game's greatest players. Uh, a, the grip, B, the posture, C, weight forward at impact, and D, a flat left wrist at impact. Yeah, well, it would be weight forward. And, 
you can have a flat left wrist, but it depends on your grip style. So, uh, but but uh, the weight forward is is the key move, uh, except if you're right. a long drive guy. Uh, so so again, yeah. these are all the people that are hitting it <laughs> off their back foot, you know. So when you're hitting right. it off your back foot, you know the club gets down way too early, and and essentially, if you were to set up and let's say that the inside part of the golf ball that you're going to strike was in line with your with the left part of your pec muscle, okay, uh, if you're a right-handed golfer. And you sway back and you stay back. You've essentially moved that golf ball up to your left shoulder. So even though while the ball hasn't physically moved, you have changed the ball position. So now you, chances are you're going to either hit it fat or you're going to throw the club head at it which now bends the the lead wrist or the left wrist for right-handed golfers. Right. Well, and, and it's interesting that you say that, and, and you're exactly right, C and D, um, having the weight forward and obviously a flat wrist uh, at impact uh, are the two uh, commonalities that many great players have. And, and it's just for that because, you know, many of the, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, many of the, the great players that we've seen over the years have played with grips and postures that are completely across the board. Uh, you know, I gave a couple examples, Jim Furyk and Lee Trevino as an example. Um, and from strong to weak grips and sort of the hunched and, and to sort of very erect posture. So, um, but the commonality is that they're all able to arrive at impact with their weight predominantly forward and their lead uh, wrist is flat. So again, there might be variations of that. Again, as you mentioned, because of the, the type of grip that, that, that they're uh, adopting. But generally, those are the two areas. And these are areas, John, that a lot of our amateurs have a problem with, as we talked about a moment ago, is transferring that weight to the lead foot, uh, you know, particularly for, uh, for our amateur golfers. And, um, and, and, you know, having that sort of flatter left wrist, again, for right-handed players uh, being their lead hand, uh, is something that they seem to have a problem with. So is there anything that you do in your instruction or your teaching to help people sort of adopt both of those principles? Um, yeah, what, what I'm going back to the initial question of face, when someone understands that if they've got the face square to the target, they've got a relatively zeroed out path. What all that's left is whether the face is, increased with loft or decreased with loft. And as soon as you enlighten somebody to with decreased loft, you hit the ball further. All of a sudden the light bulb goes off. So a lot of the things I'll do is explain that, show that. I will pull out flight scope on occasion and demonstrate that. But the real key to the instruction part is having someone feel the difference. When we're talking about left wrist flat or bowed versus it's already been released, and they see the relative uh, effect that it takes to the club when it comes to law, all of a sudden, somebody, most of my students, as soon as they see that, they go overboard with it, and they'll, they'll start shanking it a little bit because they're trying to really hold off on the release. So if that's something that some, someone listening is, is struggling with, Calm your, calm your nerves down first, calm your swing down second, and start working with big chip shots. If you can set up 
normally like a like a normal swing, but make the swing of a big chip shot. Basically, what you're doing is creating forward shaft wing, which in turn reduces the loft to the club. And you'll start feeling this not only off the golf club, but you'll start feeling that left wrist. I use the term solid. If, if I've found with amateur golfers that if, if you use too descriptive a term, they may go extreme to the opposite end in, a, in an effort, in an attempt to get it there. The more solid that the more likely you're going to de-loft the club at impact, which all the world's best do, and that's why they hit it the extreme lengths that they do on TV. It's a really, yep. really simple drill. It brings you right back to square one. Um, it's a drill that years ago, before digital technology, I'd get on the phone with tour players and I'd ask them, what are your pitch and chip shots telling you? Let's get back to that. And most of the time, they can work some things out from a distance. Really, really simple thing to feel what you just described. Right. You know, well said. Thank you. Um, you know, another area too, uh, and, and John, I'm going to come back to you. I, I know that you uh, just gave a, a a good answer here, but uh, take a deep breath. I'm coming back to you, and then Chuck, I'm going to answer, ask you something a little differently. Um, this is talking again about club face, uh, but at impact again. Um, to square the club face at impact, a golfer should a feel a conscious release of the club through a rolling and rotation of the wrists and forearms, or b a passive uh, wrists and forearms to hold the club square to the arc the club is swinging on. So, in other words, should they be uh, consciously releasing the club through rolling and rotation of the wrists and forearms, or should it be more passive, uh, being b? Uh, wrists and forearms, and holding that club face square uh, to the arc the club is swinging on. What are your thoughts there, John? Well, my first thought is, and Seth, tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like Alex Trebek is making sure we're going to beat the guy with $500,000. Um, <laughs> uh, to, to me, that's a double-edged sword, Ted, and here's why. Someone who doesn't know how to release it, I am going to tell them to be conscious of rolling the wrist, releasing everything, right. rotating the forearms, rotating from the shoulders. Someone who overdoes that, I'm going to go the opposite direction. The other thing that you described, hey, let's be passive. Let's try. I right. use the term, let's wait on the shot. You don't have to be so anxious to hit the shot. Let's wait on it. Let's feel that impact. Let's, let's drown in the pleasant feeling of what that is. Um, it, it can go either way based on the particular golfer. So as much as you try to throw a trick question at me, Alex, I still think I, was, <laughs> I deserve the $2,000. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I'll take club face uh, rolling for, uh, I'll take club yeah. face rolling for 1000, Ted. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I don't make as much as Alex Trebek, so I, I can't help you out there, but, um, it, obviously, predominantly, the, the, the answer would be, in most cases, would be B, but you're, you're exactly right. I, w I would disagree with, with uh, that um, singular answer because you're exactly right, John, I think, uh, and I'm sure Chuck would agree that, you know, here's the thing. This is one of the problems, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to, to talk about some of these things tonight is I wanted to um, 
better explain a little bit, if you will, some of the, the common things that we as instructors see with our players and help hopefully uh, the listeners understand that, yes, there are some general um, truths, if you will, in, in the golf swing uh, and, and the way that we addressed and, and adopt certain uh, aspects of it. But at the same time, there has to be a certain amount of flexibility because, as you pointed out, John, there are some players out there that may have a, a difficulty uh, with that rotation coming through. And a lot of times what they do is they hold that club off and then ultimately, you know, the face remains open and, and we know what happens there. So I think you're exactly right. I think both are true depending on the circumstances and depending on the player. So uh, you're exactly right. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if things progress in the next little while, I'll, I'll put a check in the mail to you. How's that? Um, but uh, Chuck, I want to ask you um, a, a similar uh, question as well, uh, and, and again, uh, this will be for uh, for all the marbles, if you will. Uh, during a backswing, and again, we're talking about right-handed golfers. Again, we're talking about the flex. Uh, a golfer's right knee uh, should lessen its flex, not lock, but definitely decrease flex to allow the hips to turn completely on a tilted angle. Is this true or false? Do you think? No, it's true. It's uh... And what happens is it, there's a timing sequence for it. Let's say that you're turning your hips, the shoulders on, on a tilted plane, <clears throat> which you do because that's how we play golf, right? Um, right. So as you're, as you're going back, you're going to lose some of, some of the uh, flex in your trail knee, but at the same time that the amount that you're losing in the trail knee, you have to have the same amount of more flex in your lead knee to offset that because if you just lose the flex in your trail knee without your lead knee changing, you're going to get a lot taller. So those right. degrees, uh, so so those degrees have to match, and if they don't match, uh, and they had, then they have to match again coming down. Um, so you you never want to stand up, turn, and try to lock your knee. Uh, losing right. flex in the knee allows the hip girdle to turn on a slant, as well as uh, as well as uh, as the shoulders, you know, or the chest. But if I'm losing, let's just say an example. Let's just say that I lose ten degrees, which is you know not a lot. Let's say I lose ten in my in my right leg going back. I have to add ten to the left. Otherwise, I would just stand straight up. Right. So everything right, exactly. has to match up. So they're equal, equal and opposite. So for everything you do going back, you have to make the same amount uh, with your with your trail side. You have to make the same amount with your lead side, or it throws all your symmetry and geometry off. Yeah, you're you're exactly right because you know as as that old saying goes, every action has uh, a, uh, an opposite but equal reaction, and you know, this is what causes, I think, a lot of our amateur players, uh, as you pointed out, Chuck, is they stand up on the ball. And this yeah. causes some of the other things that you talked about earlier with their head going up and down is because they've taken the, in, the flex entirely out of their right leg, again, when they're going back, uh, you know, to load up, but they're not compensating with the left leg, so they're just basically tilting. And this, again, leads to other things like a reverse pivot, 
um, ultimately because they end up not balancing themselves properly. And then in order to get that flex back in the right, now they've sort of done the opposite thing and they're, they're falling back onto the right side. So you're, you're exactly right. And, and again, you'd be surprised that, and obviously these are things that, that we're talking about here tonight that people are not, you know, we don't want them to be thinking about um, when they're standing over the ball, hitting, hitting their golf shot. But these are things that they need to understand when they're working, particularly in their practice sessions, as to why things happen the way they do and why it's necessary for them to happen that, uh, you know, in that order and so forth. Because otherwise, if they don't understand why things happen, then you can tell them until the cows come home. Um, but if they don't truly understand and get it, then they're not likely going to implement the things that they need to in order to execute, uh, uh, you know, the proper golf swing. Um, well, and, and it all it all goes back it all goes back to uh, you, you have to prioritize things. So mm-hmm. if you're not hitting the ball solid, path and face really don't make much difference. Okay. Right. So hit the ball right. solid first. Once you're hitting it, once you're hitting it solid, then work on path and face, and then finally add the speed. So mm-hmm. speed does you no good if you're topping or chunking every single shot. Speed right. does you no good if you can't control the path and the face. Okay, so the first thing is you got to hit it solid. Second thing, work on path and face, which is start line curvatures. And then the third thing is generate enough speed to play from the tees that you've chosen to play. Right, right, exactly. Um, well said. John, uh, another area, too, is the center uh, of the golfer's hips. Um, need to be in front of the golf ball, and this is assuming a standard baseline ball position at impact. Is this a true or false statement? And if so, why? It's true. Again, it goes back to the rotation and tilt that Chuck was talking about earlier. If it stays stationary, you would have to be swinging on just one, maybe two planes, but because of the flexion forward, there's multiple planes, multiple levers here. And for the hips to remain dead, solid, centered, it means you're going to throw the club out at some point, and the rotation isn't going to be as effective. So, yes, that, that hip girdle is going to move a little forward. Uh, not a lot. It, it's not going to sway. Right. It's not going to slide forward. But it will, in the, within the rotation, in a two-dimensional image and with 3D motion technology, it does move forward just a little bit. You know, it's interesting because, you know, you, you both have pointed this out tonight about really kind of slowing things down uh, in the golf swing, you know, especially when you're practicing because your body will naturally move in a certain way. Um, it just, just the way our body works. I mean, you know, if, if you're moving one way, it has to compensate uh, in order to stay balanced. Otherwise, you know, we're falling over. Uh, and you know when we walk, we just walk normally. You know we put one foot in front of the other, uh, but for every step that we take, our body has to adapt and adjust in order to uh, maintain it. Because we don't have four four legs like uh, animals do, so on our two legs we have to do that. And the same thing with the golf swing is there's actions and reactions to different things that we do. And more often than not, people go under the assumption that they have to swing you know, until they're literally coming out of their, their golf shoes uh, in order to make the golf ball travel further. We know as professionals that that's not true. 
um, good solid contact chuck as you talked about uh, and just getting in into the proper sequence and, and rhythm uh, can accomplish that now obviously there are things that you can do to increase the speed and so forth to, to get greater distance um, but generally you can hit the golf ball a pretty good ways by just swinging naturally so I think that if our amateurs that are listening to the show tonight you know if you just kind of slow things down go out in the practice tee out in the driving range whether it's with your teaching pro or on your own um, and just sort of slow things down uh, a little bit and you'll kind of feel you'll naturally feel and, and a lot of people suggest this you know close your eyes uh, you don't even have to hit a ball just sort of swing like you would your golf swing get into your posture and that and just but go maybe about 50 percent of, of what you would normally swing and just to kind of feel that transition and most people will do a proper transition at that speed. But once they start, uh, as you guys know, start speeding things up, all kinds of funky things start to happen. So um, kind of just slow it down a little bit. And some of the things that we talked about tonight are, are not things that you have to sit and focus on or dwell on uh, over every golf shot, but I think they're good things to understand and know, and, and certainly good things to discuss with your teacher professional. Um, when you get together and ask them a little bit more about some of the things we talked about tonight and just get them to explain why they're important and why you need to, to understand this. Um, the last question for both of you, I just want to, and, and we've talked about this, uh, you know, probably a thousand times on the show. Um, Chuck, I'm going to go with you first. Um, and it's really about using video. Um, do you make good use of video? Do you think yes or no and why? Well, so, you know, video is a 2D uh, view, and you can make good use of it if you're at the right angles. It depends on what you're looking for, you know. Um, you know, I use uh, video almost every lesson. I do it before, I do it after, I do whatever drills we're working on because it allows it allows the player to see some of the areas that we're talking about. Um, you know, when you're going back to, you know, we'll do what we naturally do. The problem is that every, every one of these 15 handicap and above and, and, and some lower handicap players mm-hmm. get out there to hit a ball and they're not allowing their body to do what they want to do because right. they've read, they've read, watched yeah. a YouTube video. Their, their friends have given them advice. And so now they're no longer doing what their body wants to do. They're trying to do things that their body doesn't want to do. So the video video will show them, uh, and I give them a little screen thing. It says, this is, this is you know, I'll have them go through the screen. This is what your body wants to do. And you don't even have to do a screen to do that. But, you know, this is what your body wants to do. This is what you're trying to do. So as soon as we put it in what their body really wants to do, then things start happening. You know, and, and, and a big reason, that, and go back to the to the flat lead wrist or, uh, you know, I'd rather call it a left uh, lead arm club shaft in line. Um, the reason that it doesn't do that most of the time is there's not enough upper body rotation to get the hands forward enough to do that. So right. there's what's called lag and then there's called false lag. Well, false lag is me trying to create it and real lag is me generating the rotations necessary to do it yeah and and, you know the other thing too and and this goes back to john some of the things that the you know myths that we've heard you know we've always heard this uh, some of these expressions like swing the handle and and you know once you get loaded up correctly you can pull down on that handle as hard as you you want Mm. but what ultimately ends up 
happening with a lot of players is they again take that literally and they don't understand the concept and what they end up doing is their body gets so far out forward and that club is lagging as you said uh, Chuck you know false leg it's lagging so far behind that the club face can't catch up and ultimately mm-hmm. they end up blocking it or, or you know big old slice um, John what about you for video I mean I know you use video as well uh, I've seen you with the camera there and on some of your posts so I know you use that what are you looking for when you're using that why do you uh, adopt that well, like Chuck, it's uh, it's the concern is the term I would use. Uh, we're all somewhat visual, and as our society is evolving, we're becoming more and more visual. So from a two-dimensional look, so long as the angles are correct for what you're trying to confirm to the student, so they can see, hey, this is what I do or this is what I don't do, then you're good, and that that's how I try to use it. One of the things we all did, uh, I'm going to call this all early adapters, was to try to show the the average person to, say, a tour pro. That's still right. valid if and only if you're trying to show a particular uh, subject matter, not necessarily trying to compare a golfer to a golfer. And we all fell into that. I like to mm-hmm. use video when I'm comparing the golfer to him, him or herself. So along the lines of what Chuck says, hey, this is what you can do if you right. make certain setup situations different. If you improve a certain thing in your swing, this is what you're capable of doing. Um, I've always equated video to a doctor's X-ray, and I can. Uh, I, I've, I was counting uh, last month how many times I've had to go under the knife or knife orthopedically, and you don't want to know the number. And I cannot remember one orthopedic surgeon explaining to me with an x-ray all the different dissections and everything else. They take a wax pencil, circle it, hey, this is what's going on, this is what's broken, we're going to go in and fix it this way. And then they bring a model out and show me how they're going to do it. And I think when it comes to using video correctly, it, it all starts with, like Chuck said, I'm, when I ran the golf schools, it was all about having the proper angles, and it had to be a consistent angle for everybody, regardless of the location or the instructor. So we're all sort of on the same page so we so a customer wouldn't go off the deep end because one instructor said one thing and another stru- instructor said the other. And mm-hmm. we're now in a YouTube age where that is very prevalent. Uh, so I'd, yeah. I'd guard against that if you're a consumer. Uh, be careful of the angles that you're seeing. Be careful of what you're hearing from a dissectional standpoint of view. Use YouTube. Use video with your instructor more for comparison and confirmation. And I think if you're using it that way, it's a much more healthy way to use it. You're going to get better benefit out of it. Yeah, it, it's definitely a great um, tool to use from an instructor standpoint as well as the students. Obviously, the student uh, can benefit, but from the instructor standpoint, I mean, it gives us an idea to look at, um, you know, what the student is doing, how they're um, moving throughout the golf swing, and we can pinpoint specific areas that are not, um, for lack of better terms, functioning correctly. You know, one thing that I've 
like to do in, in the past. Um, I don't do it as much now, but what I used to do a lot of times, because obviously once you bring out the video camera and you start doing that, especially newer students tend to be a little bit nervous and they tense up and so forth. So a lot of times what I would do is, you know, before I actually met with my uh, student, is you know I would always have them warm up a little bit on their own and and you know I'll meet you at such and such a time and and so forth and a lot of times I would videotape them without them even knowing and it was amazing how naturally fluid their golf swings were when they were just sort of on their own hitting war, you know some warm up shots and things like that they were going through their routines they were very relaxed very calm uh, but as soon as they knew that the camera was on and you know I brought it out and we started hooking everything up you know, suddenly what they were seeing at what I would call the before and after were modestly, or not modestly, but, but in many cases quite different because now they were conscious. So they were trying to make things look perfect, um, trying to compare, as you know, John, as you pointed out, uh, and I think it was a bad, I think, I think it was a good idea in some ways, but it was a bad in others, you know, comparing against a, a tour swing because now they see a Nick Faldo or they see uh, a different player and now they're trying to mimic instead of actually letting their body naturally move the way it's meant to be because not everybody's body the same. Um, they're trying to mimic what they're seeing a tour pro do uh, at the incorrect uh, you know, areas, and they're forcing it. So I think video, as you both have pointed out, I think is a very valuable tool. But again, the angles have to be right and the circumstances have to be right, and it has to be used in a way to provide visual feedback to both parties. And I think once it's done in that context, I think it's, you know, in my opinion, one of the best tools out there to, to have in golf instruction. But if it's not put in the, its proper context, uh, it can actually, in my opinion, it can, it can, you know, uh, as you both pointed out, you know, we see so many different videos and things on YouTube and uh, many of them are, are not correct or, or shot at, at, at odd angles and don't really give you an accurate uh, depiction. So you've got to be careful of that. And the consumer, you know, they're pretty savvy nowadays. They're starting to get with it, but uh, we as instructors have to, uh, to be up there as well. Um, guys, I'm sorry there's no uh, big, <laughs> big check at the end of this coach's corner. Uh, but guys, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you, went, you went through all that for nothing, right? Um, but no, guys, I appreciate it. You know, I want to do something a little bit different. You know, we, we always talk about uh, a lot of uh, other topics, and this was uh, a couple of questions that I, you know, I was trying to think of what we could talk about tonight, and, and uh, I came up with them actually a couple of weeks ago, and I was going to do it with one of the other panels, and I thought, no, I'm going to save this for Chuck and, and uh, John. You, you actually filled in for Clint tonight, so uh, you got to, uh, uh, to have the honor as well. So, but you guys did a fantastic job as always, and I appreciate it very much. Um, very quickly, uh, uh, John, I'll let you go first, and then Chuck. Uh, let the folks know if they want to reach out and get in touch with you and and uh, and and learn a little bit more about how you can help their games. Sure. Uh, first off, Chuck, great to listen to you again. It's been a little while since I've been on the program with you. It's always a pleasure to be do that. And Ted, once again, thanks for the honor and privilege. It's always great to give back to the game of golf through the medium that you've been able to uh, very successfully support over the past few years. You can reach me. It's really easy. John Hughes Golf, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, <clears throat> LinkedIn, everything's John Hughes Golf, johnhughesgolf.com. In a few minutes, a new video tip will be released at 8 o'clock. 
nothing from a actual physical standpoint of view. This is more like going back to uh, high school geometry and some really simple things that people should understand. And I'll have a lot more of these coming out as the year progresses. And again, thanks, Ted. Always a pleasure. Thank you, John. Um, Chuck, what about yourself? Uh, best way that folks can reach out to you? Well, I think it was great. I uh, hadn't been been with John in a long time. You know, we, we don't stay in touch as much as we should, but that's probably my fault. But uh, and it's always good being on the show cause, uh, because, again, you know, the listeners get a lot of information. And, you know, we're just like any other medium. We can sometimes overload them. So it's always, always best to see, uh, you know, your local teaching pro for some of the things that we've talked about. But, you know, if you want to, uh, if you want to visit me, you can go to chuckevansgolf.com. My email and phone number is there. Uh, if you want to look at some, uh, some videos, some training drills, you can go to ultimateguidetogolf.com. And then you can reach me through Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram at Chuck Evans. So thanks for having us, Ted. And, and uh, uh, John, it's great being on with you, brother. All right. Well, guys, thank you very, very much, as always, for uh, uh, jumping on uh, tonight's show on the Coach's Corner panel. As always, you've done a fantastic job, and I look forward to having you guys again on uh a future show as well. So keep up the great work. Have a great weekend, guys, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, you too, Ted. Thanks. All right, that was uh, guest panelists tonight, uh, Chuck Evans and John Hughes filling in for Clint Wright. I uh, appreciate that, John. And Chuck, uh, again, did a, a great job. And, and and just very quickly before I, I move on, you know, as, as Chuck was sort of uh, wrapping up there, you know, he, he made really sort of reinforced the point that I was talking about. You know, Coach's Corner panel, we're not here to necessarily solve everybody's issues or problems. It's really to uh, create a dialogue and a discussion on the show um, and, and providing feedback through um, my fellow uh, golf professionals. And we want you to at least give pause uh, or thought, if you will, in some of the things that we talk about on the show and these are things that you can take up and talk to your instructor about and your coach that you may be working with. Or if you're not, uh, then you may want to reach out to some of the folks that I have here on the show. I mean, I literally have uh, golf instructors and coaches from all over the United States uh, here. So uh, there's no excuse if there's uh, somebody, uh, you know, that's maybe in your area, you know, feel free to reach out to me here on the show and I will do my best to to put you in touch with them. Um, and uh, if not, uh, if they're not in your area, I'll certainly do, again, my uh, best to help you find a, a good uh, quality instructor in your area as well. But we try to, you know, try to tackle some of the issues and some of the topics that we feel are important uh, for the average golfer out there to uh, adapt and listen and understand. And sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming, some of the uh, things that we're talking about, uh, if you're not, especially if you're new to, to golf, and you're not familiar with some of the terminology that we may be using. And, uh, you know, we all have uh, certainly uh, a similar mindset, if you will, but sometimes we'll even disagree a little bit or have uh, maybe a different take on some of the discussion. So uh, I hope you'll continue uh, to keep listening to not only Golf Talk Live, but particularly the Coach's Corner segment, um, because I think you'll, you'll find that many of the, the professionals that are on the show uh, each and every week on the Coach's Corner panel uh, are really among some of the best in the golf industry anywhere in the world. Um, so I, I thank you for all your continued listenership, and I hope that you'll continue to uh, to tune in. Um, all right. Uh, again, I want to uh, give a thanks to the guys, uh, but also 
to the uh, sponsor of the Coach's Corner panel, uh, GolfSwing.com. Here's a brief clip. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at GolfSwing.com. All right, and for those of you just tuning in, GolfSwing.com, of course, is the sponsor uh, of the Coach's Corner panel, which you uh, uh, just listened to, or maybe you didn't hear it. You can hear the uh, recorded version a little bit later on. I'll tell you once again how to do that. Um, but if you go to, after the end of the show, if you go to GolfSwing.com, and if you subscribe to their website, it's got some uh, phenomenal video instruction there from some of the best golf instructors uh, uh, literally around that you can find. Uh, if you enter the promo code at checkout, uh, Golf Talk Live, uh, again, it can be in caps, lowercase, it doesn't matter. Just enter Golf Talk Live and you will get 50% off the subscription price. So go to golfswing.com at the end of the show and join their uh, subscription-based website and learn from some of the best video uh, instructors out there. Literally thousands of, of great instructors uh, or uh, thousands of videos from some of the instructors on there, excuse me, and just enter promo code Golf Talk Live and get 50% off the subscription price. All right, my next guest uh, tonight uh, has been on the show many, many times. He's been on for a little while. He's been uh, pretty busy. We're going to catch up a little bit, and then I know he's got something very interesting uh, that he wants to talk about here tonight. And, of course, I'm talking about uh, Brett Cohen. He is the uh, golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority and founder of NY Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, he has been in the uh, fitness industry for well over 17 years. He specializes in working with golfers and individuals over 50 and is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf fitness certifications, uh, the Titleist uh, Performance Institute, or TPI for short, and Czech Institute, as well as two fitness and certifications specializing in the mature population, uh, Functional Aging Institute and National Academy of Sports Medicine uh, Senior Fitness Specialist. So, uh, please welcome my very special guest tonight, uh, back to the show, Brett Cohen. Brett, good evening. Welcome. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me. Good to good to be back on again. Yeah, it's been uh, been a little while, and uh, I know we got a lot to talk about. So I know we can't talk uh, too much personal yeah. right now because we got a lot to unpack on the show. But um, you recently moved, um, from what I uh, remember on social media, and that so uh, you've got a new location. Yeah. Is that correct? I'm in a new location, uh, happy to be here, still organizing, putting things away, but uh, it's all good, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. been a crazy summer. Uh, still some unpacking and, and whatnot, and yeah. Well, congratulations uh, on your new facility. You. I know that uh, uh, you'll have uh, many successful uh, days there and, and years ahead. So uh, congratulations on that and, and good luck. All right. Um, I, I know we're going to talk about something specific. I'm going to just belt out the topic here and then we're going to dive right into mm-hmm. it because I know, like I said, there's a lot to unpack. Um, tonight's topic that we're going to talk about uh, is a dissertation on disassociation, your guide to the ultimate golf swing. So I know that you uh, specialize in fitness and you're going to talk a little bit about um, really how a lot of what you're just 
put into these articles. These are actually based on a couple of articles that you uh, put up on your website. And we'll uh, talk about that at the end of the show, give you an opportunity to do that. Um, but what made you pick this topic, Brett? Well, I think that the concept of this association is the most important concept golfers don't know about. I mean, personally, I think every athlete, regardless of whether they're an amateur or a professional, should know what their sport requires. And we know golfers are athletes. But over the last 10 years of screening and working with hundreds of golfers, none of them have said that they've been introduced to the term or the concept of disassociation. And I've asked. Uh, they said they just right. don't hear that terminology uh, either in a golf lesson or in the golf world. Um, so, but every golfer knows that golf is a rotational power sport and training for power really requires that you truly understand the concept of disassociation because the inability to disassociate can show up in your backswing and in your downswing. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to be able to do when you're working on path or plane. So disassociation to me is the key to unleashing the elastic energy potential in your golf swing. So what is then Brett? So for those of us that, that don't do what you do, um, what does disassociation, what is then exactly is disassociation and how does it relate to the golf swing? So here's how I view it. So as it relates to golf and other rotational sports, I'm going to define disassociation as the separation of one body segment from another in what's known as the transverse plane. And for those who don't know what the transverse plane means, I'm going to explain that. So we imagine a line dividing the body into upper and lower halves. And any movement that is parallel to the waistline is rotational in nature. So that movement is happening in the transverse plane. In other words, the transverse plane is where rotation happens. But in order right. to access the rotational power that a golfer needs, they must be able to separate that upper and lower body in the backswing and the lower body from the upper body in the downswing. So ultimately, separating the upper half of your body from your lower half in the transverse plane is what disassociation is. Okay. All right. Everybody. So that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that explains it. Uh, obviously we're talking about upper and lower body. So, so how does it work? Um, explain a little bit further. Um, well, in rotational sports, we have what's known as a loading phase and an unloading phase for golfers. That's going to be the backswing and the downswing. Uh, so for golfers, the loading phase begins when the hands start to move away from the target line on their way to the top of the backswing. And in order to do that effectively, the athlete needs to move their upper body over a relatively fixed lower body. In other words, the lower body needs to be able to be stable long enough for the upper body to disassociate itself from it, right? So when your feet are planted firmly right. on the ground and you're moving your hands away from the target, you're actually stretching muscles, tendons, and fascia that connect the pelvis to the torso, which is anatomically known as the anterior oblique sling. I mean, the term sling gives you an idea that we're stretching something out that we're eventually going to shorten. So by taking the elastic components of those muscles, tendons, and fascia and stretching them, and then we're going to immediately, after stretching them, contract and shorten that elastic energy back towards the target to propel the torso, lead, shoulder, arm, and club into the golf ball. But mm -hmm. if you have the habit of taking your club too much to the inside, which a lot of the golfers I work with struggle with, um, bringing the club into the trail hip, 
then you're not going to be able to store that elastic energy because you're no longer stretching out that interior, anterior, anterior oblique sling. Um, it's only when you disassociate the upper body from the lower body that your torso can work in concert with the hips and generate the club bed speed in an efficient and, and fluid manner. Okay, so let me ask you then, just for, you know, obviously Golf Talk Live is a golf show and we're, we're talking about the golf swing here, but for those that maybe are fairly new and don't know a lot of this yet, give us a non-golf example just so that we can kind of put things in perspective. Yeah, sure. So I immediately think of um, a bow and arrow example. In order to make the arrow go far and fast and hit the desired target, you must first stabilize the bow with your lead arm. So that analogy would be like the lead leg uh, of a golfer, if it's a right-handed golfer, your left leg. And then you're pulling the string back as far as you can with your trail arm. That string is going to be the anterior oblique sling. The trail arm is going to be the trail shoulder, right? The arrow is represented by the golf club. In order to do that, to pull the string back as far as you can, you're going to have to have good posture, balance, strength, and muscular elasticity to keep one part of the body secure and stable while stretching out the opposing segment. So, in other words, we're keeping the bow uh, secure and stable while stretching out uh, the string to pull the arrow back and launch it as far as we can. So, one, uh, one half of your body remains stable while the other is moving, and this is what allows the golfer to generate power, and it's really the perfect example of how stability and mobility work together in the body, which is basically what we're measuring uh, in someone's ability to disassociate their body, uh, one half of their body from another. Okay. So how do you tell then if a golfer is able to disassociate their upper from their lower body? What are some of the signs and how can we... Yeah, it's actually pretty easy. So um, in the, the the screening process, the first three screens that I perform are disassociation screens. But we're, we're still talking about the backswing. So um, if they're coming in and they're complaining, uh, which is pretty much everyone that comes to me, right. that they're losing power, <laughs> right. right? They want more distance. They want more speed. They need more club head speed, which is going to transfer into power. Or they have um, well defined as tissue issues, right? Their low back hurts, their lead elbow hurts, or they've been told by a golf pro or their buddies they're a little too armsy, right? That, that you know they're, right. they're a little upper body dominant. Um, I'm already mm-hmm. thinking that they're struggling with disassociation, but I still have to assess, right? I can't just guess. I need to assess, right. and that's what comes next. So the first screen I'm going to do uh, when it relates to the backswing is um, – what's known as the torso rotation test. And in this test, I'm simply asking the golfer to stand in a mid-iron posture. I'm going to tell them to keep their lower body still, no movement at all, and with their arms folded across their chest to rotate the upper body back and forth. And if I see that they're struggling with that pattern, the first step is to add stability to the lower body by simply holding on to the hips. And by that way, I'm going to know whether it's uh, a mobility issue, meaning they can't rotate the upper body well enough, or a stability issue, or it may be a combination of those two things together. So if the pattern imp- immediately improves, it says to me that the athlete needs more strength and stability in the lower body and the core in order to be 
able to do it on their own. But if it doesn't, well, then I'm going to need to look at some other screens later on that will help me determine what might be happening because um, its stability alone doesn't work. Uh, it may be a coordination problem or a mobility problem, which we'll find out later oh. on. Okay, so um, you're obviously going to look at some other things as well. So what might be some other things that uh, you're going to look at? Well, so since we know that the backswing starts with the upper body and the rotational capability of the upper body, we're going to look at how well the thoracic spine moves independently of the lower body. So I'm going to measure that by doing what's called a seated rotation test. Very simple. Put somebody in a chair, uh, keep their legs together, put a stick on the back of the shoulders to keep the spine from bending and ask them to rotate as far as they can in each direction. And in that test, I'm looking for about 45 degrees of rotation in both directions or more. Um, additionally, I need to see how stable the lower body is, right? So mm -hmm. I'm going to do what's called a glute bridge test. This is lying on their back on the floor with their knees bent, feet on the floor. And in this test, I'm going to test one glute at a time, so a single leg test, and see how well that athlete can maintain a stable pelvis on one leg on the ground for at least 10 seconds. Um, right. And that gives me an idea of how strong or how well they're able to stabilize their pelvis on one leg. Um, and finally, what's called the lower quarter test. And that's to see if they have sufficient amount of mobility in the trail hip. Uh, so if we're talking about a right-handed golfer, we're rotating into the right hip in order to load that hip in the backswing. And we're going to need about 60 degrees or more of rotational capabilities from the ankle, knee, and hip in order to do that effectively, in order to sufficiently load that trail hip, to be able to turn the torso over that fixed hip so they could load without swaying or leaning away from the target line, which are common problems when we don't have adequate mobility in the trail hip. Um, right, right, exactly. Um, let me just uh, pause for just one quick sec. I just want to remind everybody real quick, and then we're going to jump into uh, to more of the discussion here. Um, I want to remind everybody, of course, that tonight's sponsor, golfswing.com. Go to golfswing.com, and at the end of the show, and sign up for their uh, website. Uh, it's a subscription-based website. has uh, some great uh, top uh, PGA instructors uh, that can help you with your game. And uh, if you enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE, uh, you'll get 50% off. So make sure you do that at the end of the show. And for those of you that are just joining in and want to hear uh, the show in its entirety, uh, you can certainly listen to this uh, segment right now. But if you go to blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash golf talk live, at the end of the show, uh, you can hear the entire show in its entirety. Just scroll down to the on-demand section. Uh, all of the shows are, are auto-recorded, so you can listen to them uh, when it's convenient for you. Um, so if you missed the first half of the show or you're coming in midstream, uh, not to worry, you can go. And at the end of the show, I'll also play in the outtake uh, some other great ways you can tune into the show as well. So uh, lots of great ways. And again, don't forget to go to golfswing.com at the end of the show, enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE, and you'll save 50% off the subscription-based price. Okay, so um, Brett, we've, we've now sort of gotten an understanding of how disassociation works in the backswing, or as you put it, the loading phase. Um, what is supposed to happen in the downswing, the unloading phase? So talk, walk us through that now. Yeah, so now we know that the upper body initiates the backswing sequence, and so it should be apparent that the lower body begins the downswing sequence, and it does, but 
if you don't perform the backswing sequence correctly, it's going to be nearly impossible to do that. So the downswing sequence is actually going to begin with a proper backswing. And if you're not disassociating the upper body from the lower body in the backswing, then probably you're doing what most golfers tend to do, taking their hands too deep to the inside. Some of the results are going to be a loss of posture. Some of these swing characteristics that I'll see um, are early extension of the hips or moving the hips towards the ball too soon in the downswing. Um, Lifting up out of posture or what's called a flat shoulder plane typically, or even a reverse spine angle, which means that the spine is tilted um, towards the target line rather than away from the target line in the backswing transition. So all of those characteristics are a result of not being able to maintain uh, dynamic posture, and that's going to make it really difficult, if not impossible, to keep the club on plane. So now we're ready. Once we're able to do that, uh, to bring those hands away properly, we're ready for the unloading phase or the downswing. Um, and an efficient downswing is going to start with the lower body, which is transferring the speed and power into the torso, the arms, and into, club, into the club. Um, regardless of the style of a golfer, the way the swing looks, in order for it to be efficient, the downswing sequence needs to begin with the lower body. So when you look at the best players in the world, when they get to the top of the backswing, the first segment to move is going to be the pelvis, the second is the torso, then the lead arm, and finally a club. Um, And that is what we refer to as an efficient kinematic sequence. And and what's amazing is that um, regardless of style, all great ball strikers have a very similar kinematic sequence of generating speed and transferring that speed throughout their bodies. Yeah, and and you know you're exactly right. You know, we talked about earlier on uh, the coach's corner. You know, we talked about how a lot of you know uh, golfers, you know, from the past had very different looking setups, even swings, but they all there were all certain commonalities that they had, and they had that uh, disassociation, if you will, um, upper body from lower body. They might have done things in a little different fashion. They may have had their body opened or closed in relationship to their target line. Uh, again, in order to compensate for certain things, but they still had unique uh, features that were common amongst all uh, of the top players. So um, very interesting what we're talking about here, because I think a lot of people, much like earlier in the discussion tonight, there's a lot of things um, that our golfers uh, don't really understand. And obviously, we're you know we're not trying to cram everything in there, but we're just trying to make them aware. Mm-hmm and be conscious of things. And there's, you know, obviously uh, individuals like yourself and obviously teaching pros uh, in, in the golf swing that they can talk about or talk to, to, to get uh, more definition, but we really just want to sort of give them a, a taste of things. So, um, so how can you tell if someone uh, is able to disassociate the lower from the upper body um, to sort of produce that, that um, uh, kinematic uh, sequence that you're talking about? All right, so the first thing I'm going to look for is their static posture at address. That's really the first thing I ask a golfer to do at the beginning of our assessment process is to show me what their address posture looks like. Uh, And as I said earlier, the perfect downswing really begins at setup and with the backswing. So we know the best players start with a neutral spine at address. And what a neutral spine means to me is basically it's a straight line that represents or looks like the letter I. that eye spine or straight spine gives you the best opportunity to rotate the torso efficiently without a loss of posture. 
If, however, the golfer in front of me sets up to the ball with a spine that looks more like a letter C, uh, a common distortion of the spine today, or uh, a spine that looks like the letter S, another common distortion, that's definitely going to limit their ability to turn uh, or separate and disassociate their upper body from their lower body because they have trouble uh, with pelvic mobility and thoracic mobility, and they're likely going to compensate for that lack of rotary ability by moving too much from the lumbar spine, the lower back, which will eventually lead to irritation, inflammation, pain, injury, and eventually surgery. That's why I said earlier, when someone comes in and they're complaining about these issues, um, I already know based on how the body functions that it's likely because they're just not moving well enough to use their body correctly. So that right. I spine um, just really at setup affords us the best opportunity to disassociate the upper from the lower, take the club away without losing your original postural lines. And then once you get your arms to the top, we know that the, the downswing sequence is going to start with the lower body. So the first screen I'm looking for, um, once I establish their posture, is the pelvic tilt test. And this pelvic tilt is a great way to test for overall mobility of the hips, the lumbar spine, the lower back again, their ability to control the position of their pelvis throughout the swing. So the ability to move and control the position of the pelvis is critical for optimal power transfer from the lower body into the upper body during the golf swing. In the pelvic, uh, pelvic tilt test, rather, I'm simply going to ask the golfer to keep their upper body from moving, keep it completely still, and arch and flatten their lower back, right? If they have difficulty with this, then I'm holding on to the shoulders to see if the added stability to the upper body will help them to disassociate the lower body from the upper body. It's a critical skill because if the player cannot separate or disassociate their upper body from their lower body, they might just stand up uh, or move their lower body too soon in a downswing transition because they just don't have the ability to control their pelvis. Let me just ask you a quick question. Um before we move on, uh, just on that note there, um, again, if if people lack certain flexibility in parts of their body, then if I understand what we're talking about here, then they're going to compensate by doing things that are not normally within the normal body movement. So in other words, like you said, they're going to stand up because they're, obviously what they're doing is creating some form of discomfort, correct? Um, there's really a, a restriction in the body they're probably not aware of. They may may not know exactly what it is, but the, the body's going to take the path of least resistance. So, you know, every golfer has uh, a, an image in their mind of what a good golf swing looks like. We've all seen enough good ones if you're watching professional golfers on television. But it's right. very difficult for an amateur without those physical prerequisites that I mentioned earlier, flexibility, mobility, stability, balance, coordination, to be able to replicate the same movements that they see professional golfers perform. Um, so oftentimes, rather than staying within themselves or learning how to swing with the physical abilities they currently have, they try to do a little too much. And that's where they're going to lose posture if they don't have the ability to do the things that I'm talking about, to rotate around their trail hip to separate their lower body from their upper body, both in the backswing and the downswing to rotate their spine adequately. Um, there may be deficiencies in any one or more of those 
areas, and that's going to change the way their body moves. Right. Right. Okay. So just to, so we can continue on, um, you know, you were talking about the pelvic tilt test and, and, um, yeah. and some of the, the, the issues there. So give us an example, if you will, how this works in the golf swing so that people can better understand. Right. So remember I said uh, earlier that the better player will start with an eye spine at address. And when they get to the top of the backswing, we know from 3D sensors on the body that the pelvis actually will go into a little bit of an S-curve at the top of the backswing. So <laughs> we'll reestablish some curve in the lower back at the top of the backswing. But what good players do is as they move the pelvis towards the impact position, the pelvis will actually tuck under or flatten without the chest lifting up, right? So that mm -hmm. is a posterior tilt or flattening of the pelvis is how they transfer force from the lower body to the upper body. That's why controlling pelvic tilt is so critical to speed and power. There's, there's an example I, I learned and, and I tweaked it a little bit. So if, if another way to explain it that I use for my golfers, if you think of your torso as the outlet in a wall, an electrical outlet in the wall, right. and your legs, your legs are the prongs that you're going to put into that wall, which is going to complete the power connection. If you have trouble controlling your pelvis, at address and in the backswing and through the follow-through, you're not putting the prongs into the, into the wall. So there's no power connection. You are disconnecting your power source from your torso. So those golfers okay. tend to be upper body dominant golfers and they're, they're not getting the most out of their, their swing clearly. Okay. I got it. Uh, I got it. Now you talked about earlier, you talked about the pelvic tilt test. Um, What's the other test? All right. So the other test we're going to do to check a player's ability to, to independently rotate, uh, independently move the lower body from the upper body is the pelvic rotation test, which is another really important skill for proper sequencing the downswing and necessary to generate good separation between the upper and lower body. Um, this movement requires good mobility from the spine, the hips, the pelvis, along with simultaneous stability of the torso. So I'm going to ask the golfer again to keep the upper body completely still while the lower body rotates back and forth. Um, and it's critical to watch this motion from the back. Is for, I want to make sure the ro that, that the motion is rotational in nature and not side to side. There's a lot of golfers that tend to think they're rotating their pelvis, but what we actually see is um, uh, a lateral motion of the pelvis and inability to separate. So if the player has difficulty with this test, once again, I'm going to hold on to the shoulders, see if the pattern improves. If it doesn't, we probably need to work on both lower body mobility as well as coordination of the movement pattern. Um, and it's, it's an essential test because it's clearly important in a downswing sequence. As you know, if you're working on path and plane, it's the lower body being able to separate itself from the upper body that allows us to drop the club into the slot, right? So if you're having trouble with passing right. plane, it's directly related to your ability to separate or disassociate that lower body from the upper body in the downswing. Okay. Um, so if a player struggles with these screens um, when you're testing them, uh, you know, for disassociation, 
what are some things or what are some of the best ways that you can help them to improve? What can they do to help improve that? Well, so I use the term mobility and stability so that that's the two uh, things that are working in concert with each other to allow a golfer or any other athlete to be able to separate or disassociate one segment of their body from another. So I start by working on mobility and stability. Um, with mobility, I want to improve mobility at the joints or segments of the body where we need to have it. And those are, and this is a really important concept for golfers to understand where they need to be able to move from. And that's the ankle, the hip, thoracic spine, the shoulder, and even the wrist. Those are all the mobile segments that are really important for a golfer. And alongside the mobility work, we're going to do stability work, which is commonly called core work. Um, most often when a golfer comes to me, they tell me the following two things. I need to be more flexible and I need a stronger core. So they, they actually know what's missing. They just don't know how to get it. They just don't know how to fix what's broken. So ultimately we're trying to improve upon the pattern that we're deficient in. And in order to improve upon that pattern, in addition to the mobility stability work, we're going to work on that pattern by unloading the pattern, right? So if someone's having right. difficulty doing the pattern standing up in a field of gravity where they have to stabilize and mobilize all the joints from the ground up, then we're going to take that athlete down to the ground where they no longer have to work against gravity. And as the pattern improves on the ground, on their back or on their belly, then we move them to the next position, which is going to be on all fours which we commonly call a quadruped position, just like a crawling position, a baby crawling. These are all the same positions we go through as we go from infant to the, having the ability to walk. And then we're going to move from the crawling or quadruped position to a half or full kneeling position, and then finally to standing. So hopefully by the time we get to standing, um, standing is going to be the standard. that We're taking them back to the screen or the test to see if they could perform that movement pattern without support, without artificial assistance. So remember, golf is, is a sport done, that's done standing. So if you can't do it standing, you can't use it in your sport. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> and, right. And, and, you know, it's, yeah, and it's interesting. And, and I, I know you're going to um, give us a, a bottom line, if you will, here in, in a second. But, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of, uh, especially as as golfers age, and I know you know as I mentioned in the beginning when I, I read out uh, uh, your bio and that to the to the listeners, and I know you've been on many times before. So anybody that's listened with any regularity knows who you are. Um, you know you work with um, predominantly the the 50 plus crowd, uh, which I of course fall mm -hmm. into. So as we get older, yeah. you know obviously our bodies are changing. We've talked about that on previous shows, and what often happens, especially in the Northeast or even the Northwest where people don't have the opportunity to play golf outside all year round, they're sitting around for four or five, six months in some cases. So their bodies are not right. utilizing a lot of the muscles. So is it a good idea, do you think, for golfers, even if they've been playing for many years, at the beginning of the season, before they get out and really start hitting golf balls, to maybe come uh, to somebody like yourself and get that, that sort of assessment done right at the beginning of the season to see if there are any critical areas that need to be focused on before they start going out and hitting golf balls. Yeah, actually, we had a show about this 
uh, I think it was, I'm trying to remember the, the title of the show, but um, it's actually more critical to do it not at the beginning of the season, but at the end of the season. So okay, yeah. as we, we spoke about in the Northeast, right, to preparing for your upcoming season, I think that was the title. Uh, your preparation yep. for the upcoming season starts when this season ends. So mm-hmm. in the Northeast, we're thinking another six weeks maybe, right? usually by Halloween. Uh, right. Most golfers are wrap, wrapping it up unless they're going to travel somewhere where it's warm. Um, so what I recommend is as soon as the season's over, take account of what you did well and take account of what you need work on. And you probably have a good idea of what that is, whether you know it yourself or your friends have told you or your golf pros told you. And let, and let's find out why. Come in, get a screen. The screen is going to tell me what's working and what's not. And then right. um, it will also tell me if something is not working, how that may be affecting your golf swing. Uh, one of the swing characteristics, a swing characteristic that you may already know you have. So let's say you already know you're an over-the-top golfer, right? Um, mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to find out physically why uh, you're an over-the-top golfer. And then the the goal of the off-season, the objective then is to find out the reason why, work on improving or eliminating it, and then reestablishing a new pattern, a new golf swing, if you will, before the beginning of the next season so that you can hone it in while you're playing. Because remember, even if we move a restriction, a physical restriction, that doesn't in any way guarantee you're going to play golf better, which is ultimately our right. objective, right, is to play golf better. It only gives us that window of opportunity to take advantage of the physical assets we now have established and move our body in the right way with the proper coaching. That's where you come in, where now you could take a player that has better physical qualities and teach them a better golf swing. Right. And that's where the team makes a difference. That's where a golf pro, a fitness instructor, and possibly a medical uh, person who is necessary uh, can work together to really take a golfer to the next level. So my recommendation is don't wait till the beginning of the season. Do it at the end of the season. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm – yeah, you're exactly right. I remember that show now. Um, No, and you're exactly right, Brett, because, you know, quite often, you know, what a lot of players do, uh, obviously, as golf instructors, we're not trained in the areas that you are. I mean, we can certainly see um, certain signs and, and things that can um, can identify issues that the golfer may have, but we don't understand from a medical standpoint or from a physical standpoint necessarily uh, why that person is having uh, um, an issue there. And quite often what will end up happening is um, obviously, some of the more seasoned and veteran uh, instructors may pick up on it, but some of the junior ones that maybe are just sort of coming out may not. And more often than not, what they do is they, they change things in the swing to compensate. And yeah. ultimately, what ends up happening is, you know, if they're favoring one side because of, uh, you know, uh, physical discomfort or uh, mobility issues, and that now the golfer's compensating by you know shifting their weight in a different way and then that creates a whole myriad of issues so i, I agree with you i think yeah. you know at the end yeah. of the season i think it's good to go in and have an assessment done and that a lot of times can answer not only for the student but also for the golf coach as well 
um, you know, some of the issues that maybe throughout the season that that person has been experiencing. And, and it gives the golf coach or teacher professional a whole new opportunity to say, okay, well, instead of adjusting this or doing that, we've now identified through this screening process, uh, you know, through you and, or, or somebody like yourself, uh, a fitness professional, that there are physical issues that are preventing, you know, uh, player A or player B from, you know, moving in certain ways. Um, so instead of adjusting the swing to compensate, let's address the, the key issues, whether it be through exercise yeah. or, or stretching or what have you, or in some cases, in extreme cases, it may even involve surgery. So, uh, no, you're exactly right. I, I think you, you need to do that at the end of the season, and that way when you've addressed that through the off season for those that, that can't play all year round, then when they come out bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in, in the spring, uh, they're ready to actually play. And they've, you know, yeah. in, in the yeah, – yeah. everything's been that nice. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Okay, so let's. I actually let's think wrap. people, or golfers yeah, that that uh, that live in the Northeast that have an off season have an advantage. Uh, professional golfers no longer have an off season, but they have trainers and staff working with them all year round to keep them tip top shape and from wearing themselves out. Um, but I think it's an advantage. I think uh, it's lacking in a lot of sports, even in tennis. There's no off season anymore. You need time right. to heal you need because the, uh, the golfers I'm working with uh, basically what I'm doing in season is helping them maintain mobility working on recovery because they have the opportunity to play two three sometimes four times a week um, so we're not going to get stronger with all that golf it's not physically possible there's not enough time to recover from from heavy loads or anything but in the winter time, we can address what's not working, work on strength, uh, club head speed, and then ideally go into the golf season, you know, ready to roar. Um, right. Anyway, that, that's, that's my view. And I know for me, you know, as a fitness professional and a nutrition lifestyle coach, my main objective is to keep golfers healthy because, right, if you have a golfer that's hurt, they're not going to play golf. Well, they may for right. a while, but eventually they're going to stop uh, if things hurt too too much. So we want golfers healthy, want them playing golf. It's good for them. It's good for the game. It's good for you. Hopefully good for right. the show. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, and you're exactly right. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I was watching a little bit before we went live on the air tonight um, earlier. I was watching a little bit of this week's uh, PGA event, and uh, Jim Furyk, who's you know been on the tour for many years, uh, has yeah. struggled the last couple of years because of injury and, and things like that. So, you know, there's a perfect example, as you said, you know, they're playing uh, a pretty stiff uh, season out there. And for somebody that's a little bit older, I mean, I, I think he's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's early fifties uh, or certainly yeah. close. Um, and, you know, when you start getting that, you know, your body just doesn't hold up quite the same and you can be in good shape in that, which most of these guys are, but, uh, yeah, you're right. They don't have as much of a down season like they used to, and uh, they're playing all year long. And, you know, when you're 20 years old, it, it's a little bit different. But when you start getting up there, you know, 30 years past that, uh, you know, those long seasons get to you. So, all right, I, I want to get back on to uh, – yeah, I want to get back onto our discussion tonight because I know you want to wrap things up. So what's the conclusion? Let's wrap up everything we talked about tonight here uh, so that everybody has a better understanding. Yeah, so um, I think being able to disassociate – the lower body from the upper body is a major source of power in the golf swing, right? When you can perform the torso rotation test, the first test we talked about, 
separating the upper from the lower into the backswing transition. The pelvic rotation test and the pelvic tilt test, those two tests allow uh, showing us whether or not you can initiate the downswing with the lower body. If we could do those without compensation, we now have a really powerful formula for a powerful and repeatable golf swing. Um, that's mm -hmm. what the screening process is so, why it's so important. It tells me how your body relates and affects your golf swing, what we call the body swing connection. Critically important if you're working on getting better and trying to improve your swing, something you and I just spoke about, because right. um, if it's not moving the way it needs to, to allow you to do the things you want to do with the club, you'll effectively be banging your head against the wall because you just can't do what you want to do. So um, right. hitting golf ball after golf ball and trying to improve your game, even if your pro's telling you the right things, if you physically can't do it, it's going to be a very frustrating process. Um, but once you're armed with the information from the screen, you could take that information to your coach and either work around those physical limitations. In other words, create a swing that works with the limitations you currently have or mm -hmm. you break through them in the gym and then, you know, play golf better. <laughs> That's all <laughs> the guys that come to me, they want to break through those limitations. They want to improve how their body moves so they can do things with their golf swing that they currently cannot do. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that, yeah, that's important, Brett, because again, you know, we, we don't want to throw a bandaid on it. You know, we want to be able to work through it. And, and obviously uh, there are obviously situations where somebody uh, for one reason or another, maybe has been injured in the past and uh, has a more permanent limitation. So once you establish that and understand that, um, then again, the, the coach or, or, or teaching professional can work around that and find ways to help them compensate. But if there are opportunities, if you will, to work through the process uh, and get them more fit or get them in the right, because I mean, you know, a lot of times we see students that will come to us that um, will not have very good mobility. And mm -hmm. it's very difficult for them to, to get into, you know, we'll say, well, okay, let's get into the backswing and they can only rotate so far because they're restricted right. because of, you know, mobility issues and things like that. And not because of injuries or anything, but just that, you know, they don't stretch very much or whatever you are. Like you said, they're sitting behind yeah. a desk all the time and they've just lost a lot of that mobility. So right. it's very difficult as a coach uh, or a teaching pro to then turn around and try to, you know, help evolve their golf swing when they've got those limitations. So getting them to, you know, again, go through a screening or an assessment by uh, a fitness professional like yourself gives us the ammunition, if you will, to say, okay, here are the issues that they're having. You've put together or you've helped them to put together a plan uh, to overcome some of these issues, uh, and we can sort of work on that together. And at the same time, I'm not sort of throwing a temporary Band-Aid on, you know, giving them a, a makeshift golf swing, um, you know, while they go the, through this process, I'm going to be able to work with them as they go through their fitness side. Uh, I'm going to be able to help them uh, once they gain more flexibility to be able to swing the club properly. And, you know, again, it's a win-win for both sides. So uh, you're, you're exactly yeah. right uh, in, in what you were talking about. Uh, I, I would any, think it's any... going to be much more enjoyable for you to work with a golfer oh, who yeah. has more athletic capabilities than one that does not. Sure. Right. I mean, we, yeah, we see it, especially here. I'm obviously um, for listeners that may be just tuning in for the first time, you know, I'm located in Florida. So, 
you know, we are certainly among one of the, the top destinations in the winter months, particularly, but all season, obviously, but particularly in the winter yeah. months for a lot of our snowbirds that come down here. And, you know, some of them are, are in pretty good shape, but there are a few, obviously, that are not as in good a shape. And that's something that we see through the winter months, particularly in fall, uh, very, very common in instruction is we see a lot of our, our snowbirds that um, just have very limited mobility, um, you know, and it, it does impede what we can do to help them. And, you know, they all want more distance and they want more accuracy, but they, you know, they can't move, you know, they can't move yeah. beyond a certain limitation and it's very difficult to give them what they want. So they get frustrated and, and this is why predominantly because they're not able to see improvement. This is why so many people, especially as they, they, you know, get on in years drop out of golf is because they've yeah. lost that flexibility and mobility. They're just not enjoying the game anymore. Uh, and a lot of times it's a very simple thing that can be fixed. Um, but it's not going to be fixed by the teaching pro. It's going to be fixed by somebody like yourself. Yeah. Right. So if if you are satisfied with your distance uh, and your handicap and you don't like the exercise, but you're enjoying yourself, as long as you're not getting hurt, fine. But if you're not satisfied with your distance, there is no magic clubhead speed pill. There's no, no. magic <laughs> power pill. I mean, because we're all, we're all thinking there's magic uh, – powder or formula for all of these things, but it takes work. I mean, watch yeah. or listen to any professional and uh, the, the amount of dedication and time and effort it takes them to change something that's going to allow them to play golf better. If you take Phil Mickelson, for example, who's been using yeah. uh, the super speed club system for the last couple of years, even after, as he's aged, his club head speed has gone up. It didn't go up because right. it's like a magic club head speed pill. It, it went up because he worked. So right. you have to be willing to put in the work. Otherwise you just can't complain about your game. Yeah. And it goes back to, as we we've said so many times on the show as instructors, uh, you know, on, on the coach's corner panel, you get out of the game, what you put into it. So, you know, right. if you go for, and we talked about this last week on the panel, you know, if you're going to go and take a lesson um, from an instructor and let's say you've got another lesson book two weeks down the road. If you're not going to put the effort in to go and work on the things that you learned today, let's say your first lesson is today. If you're not going to work on those things and practice those things, um, whatever they may be, and then just show up for your next lesson, you've basically not only wasted your time, but you've wasted the instructor's time. And that's not fair. Uh, you know, and we certainly want business, but, you know, it, it's very disheartening as an instructor when you have somebody coming and they're not putting that effort in and then they're complaining because they're not seeing improvement. Well, um, right. you know, these guys out in the tour, I mean, we know everybody's not equipped to, to, you know, be number one on tour. We understand that, but we can certainly improve uh, your level of enjoyment of the game. And that's the, the bottom line is we want people to have fun, but in order to do that, you have to put a little work into, and depending on what level you want to get at is, you know, uh, commensurate of how much work you're going to do but you know if you're not putting any effort in then I don't care what you can see the the you know any of the top 100 instructors in the world I don't care who they are right. if you're not putting that effort in they're not going to be able to help you it's it's that simple they're and not. no yeah, not. no magic pill and no, no. I mean you can go <laughs> spend $400 you know the other thing too and, and I don't want to get off topic but 
you know, with equipment, it's the same thing. I mean, I don't know how many people have said, you know, I've been looking at this snazzy new driver. It's about 300 and something dollars. And, you know, I've, I've worked with them for a little while and I said, look, don't buy it. I said, yeah. I, would, I said, yeah. if you give me the $300 and let's work out some of the issues that you're having. And when I feel that you're good enough, I'll buy you the $300 driver. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like yeah. I would rather them put their effort in, um, in, in some good solid instruction and work through some of the issues than wasting it on equipment in the hopes that that's going to help improve their game. Because yes, right. there are game improvement irons out there, but if you don't know how to swing the club properly and you don't have the mobility or the stability uh, as you've dis- suggested here tonight, and you're not able to uh, dis, you know, uh, disassociate your upper from lower body, then I don't care what equipment you put in your hand or what golf ball you're using. Uh, you're not going to improve. It's bottom line. Right. Right. Remember, we had a show specifically on this topic, I guess it was a year ago, yep. maybe more, uh, that uh, the, the body was your most important piece of equipment. And uh, yep. I, I used an analogy, which basically you're, you're saying right here is uh, if you gave uh, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, a broomstick, he's going to score a goal on you because he knows what yep. to do with it. Right? It doesn't have right. to be the best, the, the best uh, ice hockey stick in the world. He's no. still skilled enough to use what he has. Um, so no. probably most of the golfers that want that $300 driver don't deserve the $300 driver, meaning they can't take advantage of what the technology of that driver offers because they can't do the basic things with their body. Yeah, exactly. And that that's what it boils down to. I mean, you know, I I've had people come to me over the years that will say, okay, Ted, what you know, what should I buy? I'm you know, I want to get a new set of equipment and things like that, and I'll watch them hit, you know, if they've got clubs already, I'll watch them hit their clubs, or you know, I'll, I'll grab something out of the the pro shop or something that I'm that I'm teaching at, and I'll say, okay, let's go out and work on a few shots out here in the range, and I'll watch what they do, and I'll and after the the session, if I see that they're not hitting with any sort of consistency or uh, you know, any sort of success, I, I mean, it would be irresponsible for me to then turn mm-hmm. around and say, okay, well, let's go in and let's fix, fix you up for this $2,000 set of golf clubs. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's unethical as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. you know, there's a time and a place where equipment, I mean, your body is connected, you know, to a tool. That's what it boils down to. The golf club right. is a tool the ball is simply the object that that tool is going to move down the down the fairway. But if your body is in misshape, you can put whatever tool you want in your hand, even a hammer. If your you know if your uh, arm is is very weak and whatever, you're not going to hammer that nail in very good. So there's a lot of analogies that we can use, of course, and and we can yeah, go on for sure. hours about. It. But but the the point is that your body, you're right, is your most important tool in your golf game. And if it's weak and and not functioning properly. Um, for whatever issue, then that's what needs to be addressed first. And then, you know, because equipment doesn't change. Equipment is always going to be the same. Uh, that club that you've had for five years, for the most part, it's never going to change. The grooves might need a little repair or what have you, but essentially that club is never going to change, but your body does. So that's the yeah, common core right. of, you know, of what, <laughs> Probably what changes, changes more in your rapidly golf than the equipment. Yeah. Right, exactly. It exactly. deteriorates so, at a faster rate. <laughs> 
Right, exactly. So um, for those of you tuning into the show tonight, uh, our discussion has been a, uh, a great topic that Brett put together, and we're going to give you uh, an idea of where you can go read the, the articles, but it's a, a dissertation on disassociation, your guide to the ultimate golf swing. Uh, Brett, where can the folks go? You've, you've written a couple of articles about this. Um, where can they go to, to read that and more? What's, uh, what's the best way to reach yeah. out? Yeah. I've lost track of how many blogs I have on the website now because it's been going for <laughs> about four years now. But uh, the website is nygolffitnessguru.com. So it's all one long word, nygolffitnessguru.com, and it's just the blog tab on the website. These are the last two uh, blogs that were posted, the exact topic and um, – that we spoke about tonight is a part one and part two, basically taking the uh, topic and dividing it into the upper and lower body or backswing and downswing disassociation, loading and unloading patterns. And I discussed um, uh, the screens that we discussed tonight and some of the swing characteristics that are typical if you cannot do the disassociation pattern correctly. Uh, there's a couple of um, connections to what do I have connections to uh, YouTube videos that also show other golfers going through the same screening process as well. So it's good to see what a screening process looks like before you, you come, I think, because you have a good idea of what to expect. Um, Perfect. Yeah, and that's it. So this is going to be, I know I mentioned to you a year ago, working on a book. This is now going to be a chapter of that book. So <laughs> just thanks for helping me write that chapter. Well, you're, you're quite welcome. Come out. <laughs> And I'm look, yeah, it's a lengthy process, I know. Um, well, I look yeah. forward to that, and and uh, when that book uh, uh, gets released, uh, by all means, uh, come back on the show, and we'll uh, yeah. uh, I will help you launch it together. But uh, Brett, as always, it's been a pleasure. I, I know you haven't been on for a little while. You've been really busy with a lot of other things, and and I really uh, put you through the ringer for a couple of years, having you come on quite a bit, and I, I know you enjoyed <laughs> it, but. Uh, you, I knew you needed to get back to some work, so and you got other things you had to yeah. do, and lots of uh, upgrading on your on your uh, um, skills and things like that, and and um, mm -hmm. and uh, different uh, seminars and whatnot that you've attended and certification courses. So you're just adding to your repertoire, if you will. And uh, as I mentioned yeah. at the beginning of the show, when you first came on, uh, you've moved to a new location. So uh, if people want to reach out to you, Brett, what's the best way to go about doing that? Uh, the best way is going to be just to get to the website. Uh, at the website, we have uh, a phone number at the top, uh, email address. They could download a free uh, dynamic warm-up guide as well. There's an, a video interview of me that was made about a year ago. Uh, it's going to give you all the information that they need if they want to get in touch and learn more. Uh, whether, if they're in New York and they want to contact me to get an assessment, great if they're not they just want to read some of the articles and learn it's there it's free uh, by all means please visit and uh, if you have any questions just let me know perfect and just to uh, confirm again correct me if i'm wrong but it's nygolffitnessguru.com correct that, that's correct yeah that's the one okay Thank you. so go to yeah go to that website and uh, if you're in the new york or surrounding area uh, reach out to Brett, all of his contact information there. Uh, also, if you click on the blog, the last uh, couple of articles are what we talked about here tonight. So make sure you do that. He's a great guy, knows his stuff, and uh, he's been a, a valued uh, guest here on, on the show over the years. And uh, I know we'll have him back, and I'm looking forward to this uh, to this book. Um, so 
hurry up and 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 finish it up so we can we can <laughs> talk about it on the it, show. Yeah. Hurry up yeah, and write it. But uh, Brett, uh, Brett, as okay. always, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. And and again, congratulations on uh, a new facility. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, to having you come on a show again um, um, on a future show. So uh, have a great weekend, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks again for having me, Ted. I appreciate it. Bye bye. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. All right, that was uh, Brett Cohen, a golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority and the founder of NY Golf Fitness Guru. And again, if the website is nygolffitnessguru.com. Uh, again, you can get all this contact information there, and uh, you can also uh, click on the blog and read uh, the articles that cover what we discussed tonight on the show. So I want to thank everybody uh, again for joining me tonight here on Golf Talk Live again don't forget to go to golfswing.com at the end of the show and uh, enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE. Uh, join the site and save 50% off the subscription price by entering that promo code at GOLFTALKLIVE at the checkout. And uh, if you missed tonight's show and you're just sort of tuning in here on uh, the last lap, if you will, uh, you can go to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash GOLFTALKLIVE and uh, scroll down to the on-demand section. The recorded version will be there shortly. It usually takes a few minutes to compile, uh, and you can listen to the show in its entirety, including the Coach's Corner. Uh, or uh, in the outro here that I'm going to be playing here in just a moment, uh, some other great uh, social media platforms that you can tune in as well. But on that note, thank you, everybody. Thanks again to the Coach's Corner panel, John Hughes and Chuck Evans, and my very special guest tonight, Brett Cohen. Thanks, guys, for always bringing your best to the show, and thank you to all the listeners for faithfully tuning in each and every week here on Golf Talk Live. I will see you next Thursday. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.